Good morning again. If you're visiting, my name is Peter. Uh, I serve as the lead pastor of the Springs. Today we're going to carry on in week three of our preaching series, Seek First. Jesus' challenge from Matthew 6 about life and money. And one of our, our prayers for this series is that we would really tangibly trade our earthly goods and conveniences for God's glory in our lives. And this gift that I'm receiving is a perfect example of that dream, that goal being manifest. Our, our goal, our dream is also that we as a church would each become American consumer antitypes. That we would live and give and spend in, in a way that's worthy of that old lofty title, Christian. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet to honor God's word. Matthew 6, we're going to start with verse 19. We'll actually read verses 19 through 24. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But... Lay up for yourselves, or treasure up for yourselves, treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Y'all can be seated as we pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Jesus, please add a supernatural blessing to the reading of your word that's beyond our thoughts and our familiarities and transforms our habits. As we make an exchange today, our lesser good for your greater good, our lesser loves for your greater loves, help us to really see, maybe for the first time, in in greater clarity what we are really valuing in our lives and help us to behold with, with true eyes, renewed eyes, the, the type of exchange that you're wanting us to make. What you very really came to earth to do, to exchange, that our lives would be an exchange and that we would make right exchanges in our lives. Amen. Amen. If you're taking notes, this sermon is entitled True Treasure. True Treasure. Now, in this passage, Jesus gives three consecutive metaphors about money. And he, he ends each metaphor with a, a very gripping axiom or a kind of a proverbial statement to conclude each metaphor. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to teach through, I'm going to teach through this passage 
one metaphor at a time. The three metaphors are treasures, and then the metaphor of the eye, and then the metaphor of the, the two masters. So we'll start in verse 19, talking about treasures. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And that literally means it's kind of redundant. Literally, it's do not treasure up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but treasure up for yourselves treasures on earth. And we need to pay close attention to what Jesus is saying and what he's not saying. He's, he's not forbidding the accumulation of treasure. He's actually encouraging it. He's pleading with us, make sure you accumulate treasure. Get rich, in other words. But he's aiming us towards the right kind of riches, and he's severely warning us against the wrong kind of accumulation of the wrong kind of treasure. He says, do not treasure up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Uh, now that's, that's inspiring enough and uh, motivating enough for me just knowing moths in general. I don't like the little insects. Uh, but what I, what I dislike more than moths are mothballs. In fact, one of the goals of my life, I have an oversensitive olfactory system, uh, sensitive to smells. One of the goals of my life is to not become an old man that smells like mothballs. And so if, if not accumulating things that I think I need to, to preserve with mothballs can be a thing for me, then that's one life goal. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Because even if we find better ways to preserve earthly goods, it's all going to burn anyway. That's the point. A year ago, my, my family, we had the privilege, the extreme privilege of being able to move into a house that we had help building with a builder. We got to design the house that fits our family rightly. And, and so we got to move into our family home. And one day we actually walked a few blocks away and saw where they were going to extend one of the other track neighborhoods. And to do that, they were going to first demolish an old family lot and property from probably the 40s or 50s. And so we walked through this property of an old abandoned house. We could see where kids used to play. In fact, toys and dolls and stuff kind of scattered in different places. The, the pool had like a little pond of rainwater at the bottom of it it was kind of a surreal experience because we got to see a place that used to facilitate people doing life together, families doing life together. And it was, it was kind of sad. In fact, my oldest child, Hadassah, started to cry because this is a place that is now abandoned. Actually, now it's destroyed. It no longer even exists. There's a new uh, track home over it. It's kind of sad how... That which once facilitated a family's well-being is no longer. It's been, it's been boarded up. It's been, the dirt's been moved around. The one thing they saved was a big oak tree. And in that moment, I realized this house that we just built will see the same fate, undoubtedly. The nation we live in will cease to exist. 
Nothing we can do can preserve us and our things from this reality. We'll all see the same fate. And so the question is, what kind of inheritance can I leave for my children when our home and our stuff is gone? Or I'll put it this way. Is the demolition of that family's home the end of their story? And the answer to that question is, not if they accumulated enough treasure in heaven. Not if they used the, the, the gift of, for example, earthly family to enlarge God's heavenly family. But how do we do that? How do we literally treasure up treasure in heaven? And how do we make this metaphor into a practical reality in our life? Well, thank you for asking. I'm going to get my my friend Abraham out to show you something. What is this money, this paper money that we use? You know, Abe Lincoln uh, instituted our, our American holiday Thanksgiving. I'm thankful for that in him. Why does this have exactly $5 of value? Is there anything inherently valuable in this piece of paper? I mean, is the artwork of Abe's handsome face worth inherently $5? No, I don't think Abraham's ever been accused of being handsome. Okay? This currency is only a symbol of value. Meant to be used only for trades. So I value something, and I trade this for something else that I value more. It's a trade. It's an exchange. That's what money does. I value a certain experience if I'm a millennial. We like experiences. We, we use exorbitant amounts of all the money we claim we don't have for experiences, right? And we trade this paper stuff for other things that we value. Every culture in the history of the world has always traded one symbol to get something we value more. And so Jesus, when he says treasure up, he's literally telling us to make trades. He's telling us trade things of earthly value, whether it's earthly comforts and conveniences or literal possessions, trade those in your life, this very short life that you have. Trade those earthly goods for the values of what heaven can redeem people. Trade your earthly possessions and goods and breath for people coming to know Jesus and to grow in the knowledge and the glory of Jesus. Remember when Jesus was challenged by the Pharisees and they were, they were told, you know, is it unlawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And they thought they had caught him. Like, if he says that you shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar, then he's in trouble with the Romans. And if he says that you're supposed to pay taxes to Caesar, then technically he would have been in trouble with the Jews because it would have thereby kind of said, well, you're not supposed to pay your tithe first and foremost to the temple. And so he would have been in trouble with the Jews. But Jesus had one of his signature gotcha moments, 
And he, he's, he says, let me, let me see what that coin says. Someone bring me a coin. It had Caesar's face on it. And he says, Who's, whose inscription is this? Whose face is on this? And they said, Caesar's. Or for our purposes, Abe's, right? He says, whose face is on this? And he says, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. So, so the money that we exchange bears the inscription of some other dead king. But our very bodies, we are made in the image of God. And what he's saying is treasure up that which is, is formed in the image of God and use your very lives in a trade, an exchange of heavenly wealth, of bringing people into the knowledge of the one who made them in his very image. Our lives belong to him. We are made by God and we are made for God. And he is saying, at the expense of your life's very value, make appropriate trades in light of that. In fact, Jesus says in Luke 16, in the conclusion of his, his parable of the shrewd servant, which has always, uh, always confused me before, he, he concludes that, that parable by saying, therefore use your money to win friends. If that seems unbelievable, just make a little note in your own margin. Luke 16, verse 9. Because that's strange, but it's Jesus strange. He, he tells us, use these things that will all burn at some point to make a great exchange of something that's of higher value that will never go away, that will never be destroyed. He says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? No matter how much money we accumulate here on earth, it's all going to burn. We're meant to exchange our earthly goods and sometimes our earthly good of convenience and comfort for treasuring Christ and helping other souls to treasure Christ. So are we doing that? God help us to judge rightly. Help us to judge rightly that which you already see and which is already clear to you. Are we treasuring rightly? And is Jesus okay with us intending to treasure rightly later when we have more time and money? Well, brace yourself because here comes that first axiom, this first conclusion of this metaphor, verse 20, 21 for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's read this slowly. It doesn't say where your treasure is intended to be, there your heart will be also. And let's not read it backwards either. Let's not think that it says where your heart is, there your treasure will eventually be. Jesus is not saying, look, I know you. I know your heart. We're good. We have like a, a special circumstance, you and I. You know, I know that, you know, your money is kind of tied up with certain things. And so your heart's really there, but you're just not able to show it yet. But I got you. I see you. I know you. No, Jesus is saying your heart is very clearly manifest by what you're already doing with your money. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
when I was nine years old, see how, let's date the room here. When I was nine years old, I collected pogs. Three people know what those are. Okay. Pogs were these little thing. And so I knew the value of special edition pogs, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle pogs, and the special slammers. I knew the value of the whole pog industry because I was, my heart was in it. And how did you know my heart was in it? Because I had my wealth in the pog exchange. I was invested in it. And so I knew what things were worth. And here's the cycle of the pog exchange, right? I was invested in the pog exchange, so therefore my heart was in it, and I knew more about pogs. And I focused enough on it to where I would invest more into it, and the cycle continued. And this same cycle works, even though pogs and beanie babies and whatever next holiday craze that comes and goes, the same cycle works with us, whether it's with trading cards or with cars or with vacations or experiences or with homes. The same principle plays out with all of our earthly goods. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And where your heart is, your treasure will be and more of your heart. And it's a cycle. This week, our family was all together, and I had to put up with CNBC. Did you know that there's a channel on TV where people just look at graphs of the stock exchange? I mean, my brother is really into this, and he had the remote, my older brother, and he was watching CNBC. I felt like, man, I would rather be at an acupuncture appointment right now. (laughs) Why does he, why is he able to watch CNBC and not get insanely bored out of his mind? The answer is his heart is in it. And why is his heart in these graphs? Because his treasure's in it, specifically in various growth stock mutual funds. And so his heart is there. And so more of his investment is there. When the market goes up, he braces himself. When the market goes down, he's like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to buy some apple now. It's, it's, it's bottoming out. His, his heart's there. The same thing works with us. All of us have certain exchanges that we make, and it does something very really to our hearts. It sets up more exchanges and more mastery of our hearts. Jesus is pleading with us to buy stock. In the explosive growth, the exponential growth, that there's never volatility in this market. There's not even fluctuation in the market. And Jesus promises us to invest here. Now, if any American stockbroker promised exponential growth with no volatility in the market, that that man would be prosecuted for fraudulent promises. But Jesus promises, you can make an investment in human lives and use your finite things to cause infinite growth and to be recipients of increased treasure. He's promising and he's pleading, treasure up. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. This year in our church, we've started a new 
tradition. Every quarter, with the help of Mosaic, we've been having these financial meeting updates. And I'm not saying any of these things to compel more members to come to it. You can come if you like. Uh, I'm using this as an example. That typically, the people who come to those meetings aren't people who are skeptical on the outside, like, you know, I wonder if they're mismanaging church funds. I I bet they are. Let me catch them. Those aren't the people who come to the meeting. You know the people who come to these meetings are? The people who are invested in the church, the givers in the church, the people who want to find out how are we doing. Even if it's bad, I want to know how I can help. How how can I help pray for Peter to not be... uh, making the wrong decisions and be making the right decisions and pray for the elders to, to help and to make the right decisions. How can I help? The last meeting we had, there were people who were like, man, I know someone who can help cut the trees or I'm going to crawl up on the roof and help with that roof. People are invested. And when you're invested in something, your heart's there. And this works for any organizational truth, any organization you're invested in, any life goal you have, any virtue, and that is this, that no one can say that, oh, my heart's there, but I just don't have anything to invest. No one can say that. According to Jesus, your heart is precisely where you're already investing. Because everyone has something to give. In fact, Everyone has something diversely beautiful and important to give to the kingdom of God that makes us truly us and makes Jesus appear to be all the more of what he is and who he is, and that is glorious to the world. We have an ability to make an investment that displays this in our lives. And as hard as this is, as hard as this is to hear and as easy it is to want to disagree with, look, your, your heart's already being shown by what you're doing. Now, that can be good. It can be bad. God knows, and you can deal with God. He can, he can meet you in a, in a really good place or a really not good place. But where your heart is is already shown by what you're doing, largely with these exchange currencies of time and money that we all have some of. And everyone agrees with me. And I'll give you an example. I don't think you'll be able to argue with this. Now, if there's a father, and this father says, look, I have two young children, and my heart is really for them. I love them. I really love these kids. And he says that. But he's not making any investment of his time and money for their physical and emotional well-being. There's something wrong there. That's at best confusing. And even if that child or those kids grow up believing the best about their father that doesn't invest in them with his time and his money, even if they grow up believing, oh, well, his heart's there, they will be at best confused children. And why is that? Because the man is a liar. His heart is not in it. Now, he's either a liar or at best self-deceived. But his heart is not there if he's not investing in his kids. Now, if that's true in this example, why is it any different with the things of God? God wants to show us, look, I see where your heart is. And even as I am 
pleading with you to make the right kind of investments, and even as I'm showing you that you're not doing it, there's provision for you. In fact, there's riches for you. There's redemption for you. So hang on. The next metaphor is this, the eye. Jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. Now this kind of parallels the the treasure metaphor a little bit because it's showing us that our hearts are formed by our loves, by what we invest in, by what we love and show investment for our love. And our hearts does something to our hearts. What we exchange currency for. And also, our hearts are formed by what we behold, by what we look upon, by what we focus on. In fact, in a lot of Hebrew literature, the eye is, is meant to, to show something about the, the, the soul, the heart of a person's inner life. So when Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body, it's not that different than him saying, where your treasure is, there your heart is. There's something powerful and formative about external things that we invest in in a way that changes our hearts. Now, let's be clear and say this, that none of us are in a position where we can just fix the misinvestments. Jesus is not saying, be careful, go fix your heart. Because he knows that we need a deep heart transplant. We don't just need a little bit of fixing. We need a whole new heart. And that's what Jesus is going to go on to show us when he talks about the masters that we serve. But let's stop here for a minute. Even when we have redeemed hearts, he's wanting us to show something. If he fixes our hearts or he fixes our eyes, in this sense it's like, uh, we, would, we wouldn't need just corrective LASIK on our eyes. We need entirely new eyes to see. We need new hearts. And when we have new hearts, he's still saying, there is power in what you do with your renewed heart that either gives value to the kingdom of God in your life or gives value to darkness. And when we have new hearts, we are... We are called to to use our new hearts and our new eyes to make good investments and make much of God for the sake of the light in our lives. And he's warning us, habits matter with what you look at. Habits matter with what you invest in. There's formative power in what we set our eyes on. It does something to you. And there's deformative power as well. That's why... The concluding axiom in verse 23 is, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus knows that we were made to light up with the source of our light. In him was light, life, and his life was the light of men. We were made to behold the glory of God and to light up with the glorious, the most amazing things. And if we set our eyes on the right things, we're full of light. I've heard it put this way. You become what you behold. So if we, if we behold, if we look at filth, we become, well, what's that adjective? Filthy, right? If we behold, if we look at God, 
we become godly. If we look at neutral things, things that are in the middle, if we spend so many hours on just things that are just banal, that don't really matter, Facebook, endless sports watching, God help me. If we, things that just are neither good nor bad, they're just of little value. Well, we become neutral in our value. Our value is neutralized. Now, when Jesus is warning me, though, he's not just saying, don't, 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 don't do the bad stuff. He's saying, set your eyes on me. Look at, look at what I'm doing for you. Look at your, if you're, if you're tempted to look at the wrong things, look at, look at the wife I gave you. Look at me. Look at the kids, the beauty you can behold in your kids. And remember the story of what I've done in you, Peter. Hebrews 12, 2, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Are you perfect yet? No, that answer is no. So look to Jesus, and if we can look to him, we can be perfectible. The joy set before him endured the cross. He made the right exchanges, despising the shame of the cross, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, we can't do the right things with treasure. We can't do the right things with our eyes because we have a master problem. Finally, the two masters. Jesus says, no one, and this means no one, no one can serve two masters. Have you ever been in a work environment where it's confusing about who the boss is or your, your direct supervisor? How did that go for you? No one wants to work confused. And yet that is so often how those who call, so many of those who call themselves Christians live their lives in regards to the things of God. Thinking they can serve two masters, two bosses at the same time. Living lives of manifest confusion. This is how so many Christians live their lives. And often I've encouraged men I've said things like, brother, you need to fully give yourself and devote yourself to sin. Just, just go and live wholeheartedly for the devil. Or surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ because he will be nothing less than who he is. Don't deceive yourself into thinking you're a Christian when you're serving another master. Your allegiance to money or to other gods or other things you place value in breeds contempt for your allegiance to God. God does, doesn't want to be anything less than a unilateral master. The one who says, I purchased you, I have the rights to define you, to tell you who you are and whose you are, and nothing less than who I am will I be okay with. We have this phrase in our culture, you do you. Well, we don't have the power to be ourselves outside of the power of God in our lives. We're slaves to sin. Of all the people who ever have had the right to truly be themselves, to do the you do you thing, it's God who said, my name is I am that I am. And only when we are serving him when we're mastered by him, can we actually live non-confusing lives? 
I remember what it was like to be a slave to sin. Now, when it says no one can serve two masters, the, the verb used for serve is more like the service of a slave. The Bible says that we're all slaves, either to sin or to righteousness. I remember what it was like to have desires in me to not be a bad person. You know, like, be, oh, I, I want to treat that person admirably, and just didn't. Wanted to look at people rightly and to make the right decisions. And I remember, even before I knew anything about what the Bible says about bondage of my will, I knew that I, was, I didn't have free power to just do whatever I wanted. I was a slave to sin. I remember what that was like. And I remember when Jesus rescued me through the preaching of the gospel and the Holy Spirit coming into me to where I'm not, I'm not just trying better now. I have a new master. I have a new heart. And I have new power to say no to the old investments, to the old darkness that I would once set my eyes on. Jesus says, you cannot serve God and money. It's one or the other. Now, when it, the word translated money, it's, it's important to, to mention. It's, a, it's an old Semitic Hebrew Jewish word called mammon. So Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon is not just money. It's money, possessions, or any earthly goods. So anything on earth, therefore, that you value, I will add to that, what on earth do you value? Your, your body, your career, your education, your intellect. You cannot serve God and something else. Either you will use God to get what you want to have, or you will use what you have to get more of God. And let me just underline, everyone here has something. Something that's meant to be beautiful, meant to be a piece of a more beautiful mosaic in Christ. You have something. The question is, do you serve mammon or does it serve you in your life? Who are you mastered by? Ultimately, Jesus is the only one who can make the right kind of exchange in order to set us up to be those that can make right exchanges on our own right. Seven chapters after this, Jesus says in Matthew 13, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. See, Jesus knows that we couldn't just reinvest all that we've squandered enough to have treasure in heaven. He knows that we're so deeply in debt to sin, death, and hell that it would take an infinite treasure investment for us to be back in the black, for us to be rid of our debt to Satan, to mammon, to hell, and to have true treasure. And it would take an infinite investment for us to be those who accumulate wealth. We need to be rid of our debt to hell. And so Jesus exchanges 
his good for ours. First Peter, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like gold or silver, but with the precious blood, priceless blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Would you stand to your feet with me?